Hello and welcome to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. On today's episode, we'll be doing something a little bit different than the standard episodes where you just get to hear my voice, you get to hear somebody else's voice as well. Um, today I'm talking to a very special guest, uh, I mean most of my guests are special, but this one particularly is very special because I've got a female uh, filmmaker on my hands here and I just really want to hear her perspective on things so much because uh, she's got so much experience behind her and so much to come. So I'm looking forward to this episode particularly uh, and especially with her partner in another episode which I shall get to later on in the podcast. Um, but for now uh, I will just introduce my guest, it is Miss Emily Stanley. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah, thank you for having me. No, that's not too bad. Um, I will admit every time I say your last name I want to call you Emily Sanday. Don't know yeah, why. Yeah, no, I've had that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's not because you look like Emily Sande. It's not even because you sound like her. It's literally because I, I, my mouth can't say the words. That's fine. So um, if, if at any point, listeners, that I call her Emily Sande, you know I mean Stanley. Don't get excited. <laughs> Don't get too excited. She's not going to break out into song halfway through the um, halfway through the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, so obviously, welcome to the podcast. Uh, how are you doing? In, I'm good. Yeah, good. Uh, you So you've got, obviously, I've introduced you. I've met you a big big thing about you what is it you that you do within the world of filmmaking um primarily i am a first assistant director mm-hmm. um i also love to give my hand to production design um as i'm very creative um again as well i think that helps of being an ad you know where things should be and how things should look and you you, you can then have that control of the set as an ad hand in hand with um production design um, and I'm, I've also just uh, produced my first feature film, Ooh, which is exciting. Been, which has been kept under wraps at the moment. So Ooh, yes, I no. think that is all I can say about it. Okay, well, well I look forward to that very much when we get <laughs> to it. Um, uh, but you heard it here first. If you if you see a feature film with her name on it, you know where you heard about it first. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so no. But do tell us more. So obviously you've got the feature film on the way. Uh, we won't talk to you about it too much because we'll keep that a little bit secret and let people talk uh, talk amongst themselves, should we say, <laughs> off off um, the podcast. Um, but so what else other experience have you been? Um, obviously in as of the the recording of this episode, uh, towards the tail end of lockdown. Obviously, lots of us creatives have been struggling. Um, I myself have been doing this. So, uh, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy in these creative uh, stops? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know, as you said, it's been it's been very hard for creatives, people, you know, throughout the industry. Um, you know, self employed. Uh, so I, um, that obviously it's had its highs and lows. Um, and you know, I've just been trying to keep myself busy, keep myself educated, um, try not to get in sort of a downward spiral and go, no, there'll be things to come next year will be a good year because, you know, hopefully, um, fingers crossed things that have been held back and pushed forward this year, there'll be a huge tidal wave of not just for me personally, but for us as a collective, um, industry. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully it gives people the opportunity to sort of rake it back a bit, you know, the people who have obviously had some struggles, um, with this time but yeah I've just tried to keep as positive and as busy as possible oh that's fair enough um and in terms of your experience within the industry so obviously you've got things coming ahead uh, thankfully so you know the industry is still thriving and we're still trying to get through all this um can you tell us about any uh, like highlights from what you've done so far in your budding career as a 
independent uh, filmmaker and just filmmaker in general, really. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just like quickly run you through. So I actually wanted to be um, a dancer. So I okay. danced since the age of three. I went on to do it at college and in higher education. Um, got some fantastic jobs from that, um, including I did a 12-month contract at Disneyland Paris. was absolutely fantastic. But then a couple of years, a couple of years ago, I came to the conclusion that it wasn't for me any longer Mm. um it sounds like a really unfortunately this industry can be very very shallow um especially on the performance side of things um i'm quite small i'm actually only four foot eleven um and that hindered my potential to dance so so much Mm -hmm. um and i had to be realistic um i'm 25 now and a dancer's shelf life is you know 30s and it take obviously takes so long to get there um so i was like okay let's uh let's have a look at a different path um i started you know a few years ago i helped my partner out um with his dissertation film um you know and that that was that was it really i just thought i was i was giving him a hand um again continued to sort of try my hand at dance and performance um, and then again, my partner made a film um, in conjunction with someone else, and I was given the role of AD. You know, he was like, "I want you to be my first AD," and I was like, "What's that?" <laughs> uh, you know, throws you right in the deep end, doesn't it? Yeah, massively. And I was like, "Isn't that like really important?" Mm. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, it is." But you know, bless him, he obviously knows that I sort of possess those skills of organisation and. I'm a little bit bossy and I like things done a particular way and they're obviously all skills that you need yeah. to be to be an AD and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. You know, I just I just naturally fell into it and was and was good at it. So I just I just continued with it, you know, and I've done I've done quite a few AD jobs now. So. And and I suppose obviously um like you said you you do a bit of producing as well like you're mm-hmm. moving into producing as well as doing a lot of assistant directing. Um that bossiness I suppose that you highlighted I suppose that really does come in handy that's a real handy skill mm-hmm. and lots of people I suppose I suppose some people would like like think oh bossy that's just you know that's a hindrance more than a than a skill mm-hmm. or like an advantage but I do feel I mean obviously not from my perspective I'm not a producer mm-hmm. like you've got more experience in that field but I do feel like based on what you're t- telling me here and chats we've had just before now and your experiences I do feel that you know, being bossy is a skill set and it really does, and it doesn't matter whether you're a female filmmaker or a male filmmaker mm-hmm. or anyone, you know, if you have a drive to do what you want to do, then, you know, it gets you so far in, yeah. in life, in life in general, not just in the creative industries, but especially in the mm-hmm. creative industries. Um, but yeah, so obviously that's um, uh, your little experience any more um, do you have any more sort of tales before we move on to our main topic of the podcast which um, I'm sure our listeners are very excited to hear about from yeah. the title <laughs> so, so uh, you know my first um, my first big role as production designer as I mentioned um, I was first AD on a short film The Voodoo Man mm-hmm. um, but I was also production designer so I spent weeks before production researching voodoo and the origins and the you know the geography of it and where it came from um and then went on to hunting online and in local charity shops to get things 
like props and set dressings and then I even made some things um, just because even though a lot of it in the film and in films in general is out of focus and mm. isn't seen and is not it's not a big thing yeah but you would 100% notice if it wasn't there yeah and that really really intrigues me in film like I could watch a film and go that's not correct or yeah. that's changed <laughs> you know and just creativeness and aesthetics in general is just something that I really really enjoy yeah. Um, no, so, I, uh, yeah. we had this conversation um, before we came on this episode, actually. Uh, we were having this conversation about how Emily can spot anything wrong with a film. <laughs> um, so famously, we were just talking about, what was it, Mamma Mia 2? Yes. Where there's a scene in which, um, I think, which character is it? They, they... Um, so uh, young Donna and young Sam are yeah. sat in the bar um, in um, on the island in Greece. Yeah. And she's got... Um, it kind of looks like a, I won't say the name of the lager, a Spanish lager. <laughs> Other lager brands are available. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she takes one sip, so it obviously still has the layer of froth yes. on top. And then the shot switches from an over the shoulder on the on her opposing character, and there's about an inch less liquid in the glass, and it's also got no froth on top. <laughs> and I know, you know, it's an easy mistake to make, and it is. I mean, you know, our, you know, the films that I've been on are by no means perfect, and it is a mm. huge feat if every single detail is absolutely perfect. But it's yeah. just, it's just one of those things. I have um, just an eagle eye for for detail, really. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I just want to give a bit of context. If anyone heard plates going down a second ago, or <laughs> we got a nice, fed pizza. we we have been we have been fed. So I am currently at the moment uh, in the house of uh, Mr. Jason Varys, um, and as who, who will be on another episode of the podcast eventually, uh, discussing the Snyder Cut, which should be a fun episode. Um, but he's just given us pizza, and it smells so good, it's so it's good. good. Um, so it's perfect cinema food, I say. Perfect cinema food. Yeah, topic. <laughs> yes, perfect topic. Uh, but yeah, um, moving on. So obviously, that's you. You're amazing, um, you. and I wish you all the best of luck with the feature when we can hear more about it. I hope you can come back on again yes, sometime as, and discuss the many, many continuity errors and things that you might have found in the final edit, but I'm looking forward to that so much. Um, but obviously, our main topic today that I want to discuss is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Now, obviously, because I, I got in contact with Emily and I was discussing, um, what do you want to talk about on the podcast? Because a lot of my episodes, we discuss a specific topic and we just take things with the flow, really. And um, she mentioned what, two things. Um, one, I feel, deserves its own podcast in its own right, and that is The Godfather. Um, and I, I think I need to build up to that one yes. because it's just such an epic, yeah. epic trilogy, but epic original film, mm -hmm. the first one. Um, but I have recently been doing um, a dissertation for my master's on Tarantino, so I thought this is the perfect opportunity. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to really just uh, open up the discussion, really, about so where, when did you first um, come into contact with Quentin Tarantino films? Actually, only this year. Ooh. Like, literally, I'm such a newbie, but Ooh. I absolutely... We love a newbie. <laughs> I absolutely love them. Like, literally within the last 12 months. Um, but I absolutely love them, you know, and you know Jason my partner who you know you guys are going to meet on a different episode yeah um massive film fan and he was like you need to watch a Tarantino film and I was like do I really do I really like everybody knows about Pulp Fiction yeah everybody uh, so it's the one that everyone like if you 
film student, film buff, whichever terms you want to mm-hmm. use, you literally, I don't think you can escape it, even if you haven't watched it. Most of the time people are like, oh, Pulp Fiction, it's the one with Samuel L. Jackson where he quotes the Bible and um, points a gun at some guy's head and swears a lot and just like, yeah, yeah so much. Um, spoiler alert, lots of blood. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but lo- lots of people know Pulp Fiction for that reason and it's bloody violence mm-hmm. and that's the same with any of Tarantino's work yeah. but obviously you're new to it all mm-hmm. what were your first impressions of so which was the first film that you watched the first Tarantino film that I watched I think was Pulp Fiction okay Pulp Fiction that's a good entry level I yeah. think yeah um and it it took it's one of those films that you have to pay attention to yeah because yes. again spoiler alert guys sorry, yeah sorry we this is spoiler territory um, so go ahead <laughs> it, it jumps you know, it jumps mm. back and forwards. There's characters that, you know, they get killed off. And then, you know, 20 minutes later in the film, they're, they're there again. And you're like, what? Like, it jumps between different <laughs> scenarios, the different timeline and the story. And I, yeah, I really, I, I actually really liked it. And um, there's a documentary about um, Quentin Tarantino that I've recently watched. Um, and so many of his actors say that the the gore is you know it's 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 relentless you know and it's it's funny and he you know you laugh because he does take it to that comical level it's over the top the blood is like bright red syrup and Mm. obviously blood isn't that bright red no um but you know and his actors have said you know he he's making it okay for you to laugh at but you laugh and then you go Mm. like oh, hang on, somebody just got decapitated. I shouldn't laugh at that. But... <laughs> yeah, that is the infamous... Oh, what was it? The the infamous... Um, You, you killed... Mar- I think his name is Marvin. Uh, Tarantino fans will probably <laughs> probably crucify me now for getting the poor guy's name wrong. But the guy who gets his brains blown out in by... In the car. In the car. By John Travolta. <laughs> yes, by John yeah. Travolta. Oh, what what a... are you doing? I just shot Marvin in the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you don't need to shoot Marvin in the head. <laughs> oh, no. Honestly, it's... I, I think the reason why Pulp Fiction is so good, it's not... I sound really harsh towards Bruce Willis because Bruce Willis is great and he gets such a great amount of screen time. He has his own section. He even gets his own backstory with mm. like, there's the moment where you see him as a kid where he gets the gold watch, which explains the name of the chapter title in the film. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, you know, the film, if you think of Pulp Fiction, I will always think of um, Jules and Vincent. So Travolta and Jackson, mm. you cannot, uh, like... I don't know, it, or even just Samuel Jackson, just because, you know, he delivers so many amazing one-liners that you just can't really escape that legendary status that is Samuel Jackson. And, yeah. I mean, he's become so much part of the Tarantino unit. Like you said, obviously there's lots of actors that work with Tarantino. Um, do you have any particular favourite, like, partnerships between Tarantino within his films, the ones that you've seen, obviously? I do love... This, I do love that he uses Samuel L. Jackson and... I love that um, he just he just makes him so badass in like almost every film that he's in. In mm. fact, probably in every in, in every one of his films that he's yeah. in. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, there's some you know racial derogatory terms that are used mm-hmm. a lot. And you know, Samuel L. Jackson has spoken about this in interviews and has said, "Yes, he uses that term towards me a lot of the time, but he makes me the most badass character." Or like the main character and that's what I love about Tarantino you know he he gives black characters and female characters absolute champion roles exactly and um, I think you mentioned the documentary so documentary we're referring to 
Um, if anyone wants to check it out, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. When I popped round, Emily was in the middle of watching the end of it. I was recapping. Which, yeah, she's, <laughs> that's what she says now. <laughs> no, um, but it's a brilliant documentary. It's called QTA, uh, The First Eight. Um, and basically it follows, essentially the main point of it is is following the whole Harvey Weinstein, Tarantino um, narrative, shall we say, because obviously they were great partners mm. throughout the majority of Tarantino's career up until after the release of The Hateful Eight. Um, and obviously it's got that narrative of Harvey Weinstein in the background, but also it's looking at the career of Quentin Tarantino. And it's just, I think it's a really well-made documentary. It's got, mm-hmm. it's a weird mix of like talking heads. And um, we were saying about the cartoons, there's like a cartoon section where they like make out um, little anecdotes with yeah. like animation, 2D animation, which I think is, it's a nice refreshing way mm-hmm. to put across a story. Um, and yeah, so QTA, the uh, first day documentary, watch that if you're a Tarantino fan or you want to learn about him in general mm-hmm. and you don't mind a few spoilers about the films here and there, just brilliant. watch those. It's a brilliant film. So um, just as much as his actual catalogue, which sort of brings me on to my next point. We talked about uh, you love Samuel Jackson just mm-hmm. as much as I do. <laughs> um, and obviously we've said this role, a uh, quick note, obviously also on the documentary. There's a great point. It actually makes a whole point about the fact that women are given such a great precedence in film. And I feel uh, the fact that the reason why we even have this sit-down conversation here is because obviously you're a female filmmaker. and uh, But not just that, because I feel that someone like Quentin Tarantino is probably the staple that you want in Hollywood going forward mm-hmm. from all the mass scandals and various other difficulties and problematic issues that we've faced and have been unveiled over mm-hmm. the past 20 years or so. Um, and it really does show how the documentary showcases how he's an advocate for the female voice in the characters. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, did you want to add anything onto onto that? Like, what, what would you want to work with someone like Quentin Tarantino? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if ever, ever, ever in like a million years, if I got any chance to even work remotely on a set with that man, even if it was, you know. A runner, or even if I was just you're driving people around, you know, I absolutely just to say that I worked on a Tarantino film <laughs> in any way, shape, yeah. or form is a genuinely like I would die happy then. Um, but, <laughs> I, I think most of us would die happy, absolutely, and die I mean, in the paths yeah. of glory. <laughs> I mean, that's not the name of his films, but I'm thinking of the, the Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. uh, such a brilliant which film. you know, die in the paths of the Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. uh, such a brilliant film. Um, so funny and probably I would argue one of the turning points in his career in terms of where he was going because I think there's a bit there's loads of videos on like theories about Tarantino and his revision like so he went from revenge flicks and black exploitation um esque kind of films and now he's going for the revisionist history which is what I'm at the moment studying on my uni course uh doing a dissertation on and I do feel that these are probably the more well-crafted ones, in my opinion. I don't, what would you say? Would you, would you say that his later work has become, I don't know, not more mature, but has, like, stepped up a little There's definitely then? a difference, and there's definitely a turning point. I think something that is constant throughout his films is the over-the-top use of, of violence. And, you know, that, that interview, and, you know, this woman goes, but why? And he goes, because it's fun. Like, <laughs> it just is. And it's, it, you know, and it is funny. But I love the fact that his films, especially like Pulp Fiction, really reflect 
his way of life as a person. Yeah. Like he's infamous for still shooting on film, which yeah. I absolutely love. Mm. Um, and his know. partnership with Bob Richardson is unparalleled with... I mean, I'm sure people would argue there are lots of great partnerships, but like in terms of that, like nowadays, I don't think you get that much of a like a, a director and film... Like a director and cinematographer working so closely mm. on actual celluloid. That's, you know, it's very yeah. rare these days. And I love it. I, I know, I think, what is it? I, I, there's lots of things going on. Like digital, so easy to shoot. So much, I mean, obviously, big blockbuster films are expensive to make. But in terms of, like, how expensive it is to shoot on film, you always, I think I heard a story once, you have to justify mm-hmm. the use of film. Um, which is ludicrous because you get the best results sometimes, I yeah, feel, on film, absolutely. especially with Tarantino's films. I, I think the film aesthetic does be- really benefit. Yeah. But, like, you know, you know, again, he uses film. He doesn't allow mobile phones or any sort yes, of yes. mobile technology on set. He, he doesn't own a mobile phone. He doesn't send emails. And he does his scripts aren't with a pen and paper. Like, yeah. it's so... And I think that's um, reflected in films they're all sort of that golden age vintage kind of feel there's no like really modern modern time Mm. films that he's done and i think his way of life and his view on life really really reflects that i mean if he doesn't agree with streaming services and you know because it it kills the cinema industry it kills that cinematic experience why would he advocate that in his films yeah i just think you know there's everything about Tarantino films I just think are you know absolutely fun, absolutely fantastic <laughs> um, yeah I mean the soundtrack the the cast the, yeah I just I honestly didn't think I'd like Tarantino films and yeah boy was was I wrong <laughs> it's but the thing is though it's that stereotypical superficial like look on a Tarantino film like I know this from researching him Lots of people say the same things, and it's the same with that interview, the one that you pointed out, which is very funny. It's very memeable, mm-hmm. as it were, to put it in 21st yes. century terms. Yes. Um, memeable in the sense, you know, well, why would you make so much violence? Because it's fun, Jan! Get it! <laughs> just it get just it! Is, like... It just really is. Um, and in terms of, obviously, you've enjoyed it more than you expected. Yeah. I am I whenever I discover something that people hype about, I'm a bit like that. So, mm-hmm. like, I know for a fact, like, TV shows, I'm like that, like, oh, I don't know what's the latest like Stranger Things yeah. I I think I've mentioned this on another episode but I've only recently just watched all three seasons that have um, come out over the past so many years so I've watched them all together and I just you know I loved it more than I realised and I feel I love the Tarantino film back to Tarantino I do love his films more than I realised yes because he I, I just heard him as the guy that uses the n-word mm-hmm. uh, a lot in his scripts um, Samuel Jackson's in a lot of his films and there's lots of blood that's the basic that I heard about him to start with but then and it's Pulp Fiction as well but it's brilliant I, I, he just has such conviction in his work so every everything every single detail in his film has a reason and has a story behind it like and the way the films all relate to each other whether mm. you're somebody's granddaughter or you're somebody's you know great great you know yeah. nephew or whatever and i mean in uh reservoir dogs um yeah. you know mr blonde 
he, they were all told to come in their own. I mean, it was it was quite a low budget. Very low time. budget, yeah. It was wear a black suit, black shoes, and a white shirt. <laughs> and there's a funny story, isn't there? I think is it Michael Michael Madston or Tim Roth? No, Tim Roth. I think he wears jeans. If you look carefully, it's either Tim Roth or Michael Madston. Then yeah. they're not wearing trousers; they're wearing they're black, black jeans, jeans. <laughs> which is you know yeah. it shows. But when you watch the story and you take in the overall like. The plot, it's not a very long film either, Reservoir Dogs. No. It's his shortest film, and probably, I would argue, his best, his, well, most well-executed then, mm. um, film overall. Yeah. Because like, he managed to do it in such an encased space, yeah, encased budget. You know, small, small cast, you know, you know, that location of the warehouse. Yeah. You know, and another thing about that film, um, you know, again, Mr. Blonde, that, that really iconic moment, and he puts his foot onto the table, pulls up his trousers and he's got cowboy boots on. He didn't yeah. own a pair of smart black shoes. So yeah. that was his next best thing. Yeah. And then that, you know, that razor blade that he take that he takes out is then seen again. Yeah. In in a Kill, in Bill. Kill Bill. Yeah, Kill Bill. Yeah, yeah. When she you know, she's she's, she's stuck she's in buried the, alive. Buried alive, yeah. Um, and also that the other connection as well, speaking of other films, is the fact the big one and the one that we were talking about before, I'm very sad they never made it, is the Vincent Vega, Mr. Blonde uh, crossover episode, yeah. uh, well, I say episode, crossover film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, wasn't it? It was subtitled The Vega Brothers or something yeah. like that. But yeah, Mr. Blonde played by Michael Madston and John Travolta's Vincent Vega. They were the Vega brothers, and they were going to be in a. There was a plan to make a film with them. Yeah, and that would have oh, been brilliant. I cannot imagine how amazing that would have been. Um, but since we're talking about our favourite moments, overall, if I had to put you on the spot, what would you say was your favourite Tarantino film out of all the ones that you've seen? Assuming you've seen most of I them. I have seen yeah, most of them. Most. Um, Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. Oh, but which one, though? Do the you first. like... Do, do, I like both of them, one. but definitely volume one um, yeah. is... Or are you one these? Are you like? Um, are you like Tarantino himself? Where it's like oh, it's one it's film. One film. <laughs> it's one film. Yeah. Okay. As a collective, yeah. Um, yeah. Kill Bill, but the first half, yeah. the first volume, definitely, you know, doesn't overshadow the, the volume two. But I think it's the more, the more meaty. You know, you you find out her whole backstory. Yeah. I, yeah. But Kill Bill is definitely. Definitely up there as well. You see, I love Kill Bill. Um, like I love most Tarantino films. Well, I say I love most. I have, I do have my favourites, and I do have my least favourite, which is very controversial, um, which I'll get to in a minute. Mm. I love Jackie Brown. That's my favourite one. I haven't one. seen that yet. It's such a good it's one. one that I need to oh, see. Honestly, it's the least, I mean, in Tarantino's eyes, it's probably the least Tarantino in the sense that he didn't create the characters because it's based on a novel. Mm. Um, it's based on um, Elmore... I've forgotten what his name is, but it's based on um, Rum Punch, the novel Rum Punch. Um, and it's it's so... I think because of the way it's paced and the way it's shot as well, it, I, I don't know, I just love it. And Pam Greer, Pam Greer is a lead. She's supposedly fantastic. Isn't and she? the fact, you know, obviously the reason why he picked her was because of her connection to black exploitation films. I think it's um, Foxy or Co- uh, Coffee, sorry? Coffee, yeah. Coffee, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of Austin Powers. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> of. Foxy. <laughs> I mean, that's a film you can watch. Um uh, in your spare time, <laughs> maybe not if you're a Tarantino fan, um, but yeah, that's something different to vary your weekend up. Mm. A little bit of spoofy spies, yeah. Um, but no, I love Jackie Brown. Um, it's a great one, and obviously he does. So he doesn't not like it, but it's the least 
original film mm. to him, as I, I, I've read in interviews. He did, he promised that he'd make a film for her. Yes. Because she was cut from one of his other films. Yes, it was. she was all like, oh yeah, I've not heard that one before. Yeah, pulp, true to his word. He yeah, did. Pulp Fiction, I think it was. I think she was going to have an entire scene in a casino with, um, yes. uh, with uh, the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And it's, it's the bit before the wolf gets to. Uh, Jules and Vincent to help them out with the Bonnie situation mm-hmm. and it's just oh, I would have loved to I, I, I don't really know do we know if that was shot I, I, I think it was I'd love to see that I'd like even if it was just as a deleted scene yeah. for like so many years of pop fiction I'd want to see that yes. Tarantino if you're listening put that on a, <laughs> on a on a boutique blu-ray which yeah. I'm sure you will approve because you love the physical media just as much as I do <laughs> uh, as well as the cinema release but no that would be brilliant um, but back to my controversial point, I don't like The Hateful Eight. No, that's like one of my favourites. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I don't like it. I mean, it's Reservoir Dogs, but longer and a Western. A Western re- reservoir, re- reservoir Dogs, if I can get the words out. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, it is a bit of a tongue twister, but I, I appreciate the like the aesthetic of it. Mm. And I, I love Samuel Jackson. He's great in anything he does. But I really, and I not can't stand it, but it's so long. It I, is I, a long film. I don't know. Yeah. I, I have this thing. People say, oh, but you like you watched Avengers Endgame. That was three hours long. You survived through Titanic. You, you can last through long films. And, like, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is nearly three hours long mm-hmm. as well. I, just, I don't know. I think it's because for me, when you're stuck in one space for one time, for like so long, it's a little bit, it drains on me personally. Yeah, no, um, it's yeah. not to deter from the the credit to the actors that were in it. So Tim Roth's back. A lot of the people from Reservoir Dogs are actually back. Yes. Like about three of them, I think. Mm-hmm. So Tim Roth, um, Michael Madsen, and then you've got Samuel Jackson from like all the other ones. Yeah. Um, but then I, I want to say Jackie, if Jackie Brown's my favourite, I'd say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like joint with Pulp Fiction mm. as his latest effort because that's good. But yeah, I, I do feel... I appreciate the cinematic beauty of the hateful eight, yeah, so I, mean, I, can, I can was, understand that. That you know the cinematography in that, and I mean that was shot on seventy mil film as opposed to you know the sort of standard thirty five, um, and yeah, I just oh, yeah, it's it's up there with I think that was the second Tarantino film that I watched. Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and I you know I watched it with with Jason, and uh, yes. I then went home and like recited the whole film at the dinner table to my mum and my grandfather and they were just like oh and then my granddad went oh I think I've seen that and I was like there we go see see, this is proof guys that Tarantino is a conversation starter whether you love him or hate him he is Marmite but Mm -hmm. he's the Marmite of the film industry um Although I would argue there are other directors that take that position as well. Yeah. But um, that, that's a topic for another day. Uh, but I do feel that Tarantino is like... He's up there in the pantheon of modern day directors. As well as just directors overall. Mm. Um, since the beginning of the craft of film. Um, do you have any like standout moments that you'd like to... Like anything that you could watch over and over again? Like any bits from specific films oh, that you've enjoyed? I mean... <clears throat> going back to the point of him making it okay to laugh at violence and to laugh at gore. I've found that I actually have quite a sick sense of humour. Um, <laughs> I think anyone who watches a Tarantino film has to you have You have six. to have that sort of level of, you know, tolerance towards violence as well because it is so... It's almost comic book and I think that is potentially because, you know, a couple of his 
films are based off of comics or like graphic novels. Yeah, especially um, the use of oh, that section, that sequence in Kill Bill. Is it volume two, I think, with the, which depicts the like the backstory of um, Oren, Oren, I think the character. That's, the, that's volume one. And oh, she's volume under one. the bed and her parents yes, both get yes, killed. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, such a, it's, I love the fact that he's, he's able to bring different mm. things together, not just like genre clashes, but like stylistically yeah. bringing together like anime and well I, don't, I would say and it's not well, I, I don't know I'm not an expert in anime somebody tweet me animation let me know. and live action anything you know. like that yeah and it, uh, it's not it, it's not jerky either like no it it's fl- so fluid it flows yeah and I mean you know the going back to the point of moments that I could watch over and over again it you know it has got to be some of those most outrageous yeah. violent moments like in yeah. Kill Bill Volume Two and she does the the thing and she like pulls her other eyeball out oh yeah and she's falling around all over the place yeah. and Uma Thurman you know as the bride is just stood there laughing and at the end of Django where you know he's got uh, Mr Candy's clothes on and yes. they all come back from his funeral yeah and he says say goodnight to Miss Laura and she does <laughs> and he just like you know just blows her through the wall I think one, the, to wrap things up a little I think Tarantino is the master of the explosive ending the Hollywood explosive ending. Like, yeah, you know, like in the classic period, you had like the big, oh, we're going to get married. Let's snog over the credit before the credits and fade to black. Whereas Tarantino is the ultimate master of what we do, what people like to do nowadays with the big grand finale. Mm. But he, he takes it to explosive <laughs> bloody levels. Lots of blood everywhere. Like Django Unchained is one of my favorite endings. But if you like the bloody violence of Tarantino, then I would suggest watch the last 20 minutes or so of, once upon a time in Hollywood, because that is just pure Tarantino. Obviously, you haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Yet. So I'm not going to say too much because I want you to experience it. And anyone who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a slow burn of the film itself, and it's a bit divisive and uh, like it divides people in terms of what's great, what's not. Like, mm-hmm. is it too slow? Is it you know Tarantino at his best? Some people say it's his magnum opus. Um, it's 1969. A very nostalgic view of it all. And it actually features um so it features Margot Robbie as the real life actress Sharon Tate, who obviously was killed in the Manson killings. Um, I'm gonna leave that there, so I think you should watch it because if I go on, I will spoil it because ah. it's such a good <laughs> film. You need to watch it. I do. Uh, I will. No, but um, just to wrap the podcast up though, um, in terms of obviously we talked about you as a independent filmmaker, um, producing and assistant directing, and we talked about Tarantino. <laughs> God knows how long now. Um, is there anything? else just in general in the world of film that you're looking forward to something that's really got you excited the the increase of women in film yes um, i won't sit and, and bore you all with no it, no not at all but i'm all. definitely <laughs> an advocate of women can do this it's yes. a male heavy industry yeah, but it exactly. does not mean that women are not allowed they don't have the capacity mm. to and you know uh, Deborah Snyder, Zack Snyder's wife, who yes. you know produces his films. She there's a great quote in an interview that she did, and she says, "I often find myself being the only woman at the table." Yeah, and I totally get that. Yeah, totally get that. Ninety nine percent of the time, I am the only female in the yeah. room, and it doesn't bother me to be honest. I I thrive. I thrive off that. Yeah, because as I mentioned earlier, I'm quite small. I'm female, <laughs> and I think. That does not hinder mine or anybody else's ability to do a job that they love and a job that they're good at. No, so I exactly. am 
massively an advocate of women in film. Yeah. And if I can help other women and other young girls who want to go into film, then yeah. massively, yes, let's do it. And also, just a quick point as well, not not really to boost my ego, but if she does make it really big, <laughs> you heard it all here first. You heard that, the inspirational words on this here first. So um, if, like, I don't know, audio or, like, whatever happens on the internet in, like, 20, 50, well, 50 years' time or whatever gets all archived, I hope this little nugget will be saved. Um, and I hope hopefully Emily does make a great success for it. I'm sure you will because you're doing so much right now in preparation for, like, future projects that I know you're very excited about. Um, so I just look forward to that. And, yes, guys, you heard it here first on Take 97, a film podcast. Um, but... Honestly, Emily, it's been a great pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Um, and I'd love to have you on again if you do when your feature films announced. Yes. Very excited about that. I I I've heard like rumors and stuff. Yes. So, but I'm I'm you know I'm keeping myself um, shushed. Um, but for now, I did, the pizza's probably gone cold. But I'm gonna yeah. let her chow on some pizza now. <laughs> thank you so, so much. Um, Thank you very much, guys. Uh, so, uh, any last remarks before we leave the podcast? No, just thank you so much for having me, and I, I definitely will be back. Oh, no, that's brilliant. We we, we love a friend of the podcast. <laughs> um, so, that's the last thing on this episode of Take 97. So, a wrap on Take 97, a film podcast, the Emily Stanley edition. I didn't say Sunday. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Tarantino Extraordinaire episode. So, uh, I will see you on another episode um, next week, and uh, just tweet me anything on the Take 97 Twitter and also keep an eye on our Instagram for many posts of lovely film stills, probably from Tarantino films and various other uh, stuff if you love your films. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you and your opinions. If you have anything about Tarantino, let me know. Um, I'll probably leave a link to Emily's social medias. So if you want to check out her work, by all means, she's a brilliant talent. So really want her to shine and get as much exposure as possible uh so if you're listening hollywood she she's waiting for a big job especially you tarantino okay that's all good thank you guys see you later